Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Jake the Paint podcast. I'm joined by Sam Herbst, and Andrew Schwartz is joining us for this one, his second time on the pod. Welcome back, Andrew. What's up? How you doing? Good. How about you? I'm good. I'm just sad this is last dance is over, but I'm good. Yeah, aren't we all? Sam, checking in on you. You know, great as always. Um, <laughs> another another two killer episodes of The Last Dance. Um, like Andrew said, exci- uh, sad that it's over, but um, excited that hopefully now we can fo- focus on live sports instead of um, this old stuff. So Yeah, that is true. Um, so, of course, we are recording this on Monday night, uh, a day after the final two episodes of The Last Dance. In my opinion, the best. I think everyone would kind of agree yeah. with that. Um, just a ton of stuff went down. You, we saw the end of the finals. They profiled Steve Kerr, which I thought was awesome. Just a ton to dive into. Um, I think the awards like format worked out well last time. So I think if you guys are cool, we can just hop right into that. Yep. Sounds good. All right. So first off, I think we'll just, so we don't end up stealing all each other's ideas, we'll go like one by one around. So we'll start off with the J.R. Smith award. Um, this one is given to someone who well named after J.R. Smith for his infamous botch in the finals, like we yeah. said last year, dribbling out the clock and all that. So this it's not necessarily a botch, but someone that just didn't deliver or something that didn't age well or something just something around along those lines. So my first one, I'll go with Brian Russell. Um, the jazz player who was talking a lot of shit to Michael when he was out of retirement at the practice facility when he was in retirement at the practice facility um, when he was a rookie and then they finally got matched up in the finals and Mike absolutely torched him so talking shit to MJ probably wouldn't be my advised path but he did it anyways and could not back it up at all so he got himself on the list he did get himself on the not list. Not a list you want to be on. Yeah someone I don't know I don't know if I know Andrew's not but I don't know if Sam's are you a Game of Thrones guy? I I mean I don't know. Thrones fans get really upset when I say that I I watched seasons one and two one summer, and then like the last one when it was live, and I haven't even done like the meat of the sandwich. But um, <laughs> but I, I I'll get any references you make, but I won't be able to dig deep for like season four knowledge. You know what so, I mean? So the Arya, someone said Michael Jordan's list is equal to Arya Stark's list. Just, All right, yeah, yeah. There's when she just wants to kill. I'm feeling that. <laughs> So, yeah, Brian Russell made his way on the list, and it did not end well for him. So that's my first J.R. Smith Award recipient. Sam, you uh, want to say, yeah, up, yeah, Sam? Sam you go. Yeah, Sam, go. All right, I'll go. Um, the J.R. Smith Award goes to um, in the 97 finals when MJ had the – now instead of the flu game, we're going to call it the food poisoning game. Um, my – J.R. Smith Award goes to everybody who is in the room. Um, <laughs> MJ, it, I feel like it's their job to protect him, whether it's the security guard, the personal trainer who didn't have a good feeling about the pizza. How are you going to let – One mean, guy. <laughs> you, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known that it would have made him sick, but if you didn't have a good feeling about it or like at least have someone else take a bite, like MJ ate the whole thing by himself. Like, yeah, someone else has to take a bite, so you know if they're both sick, it was definitely the pizza. Yeah, or or maybe <laughs> if he eats too much pizza, it's, it's your classic, yeah, it's your classic eighth grade science experiment. We need more than one person eating pizza here. Mm-hmm. So sure. so how are you gonna let during in the finals 
the one guy who can't get sick because of something like that, you're going to let him get sick. So, I mean, it ended up not mattering, but um, that's definitely going to be where my award goes to for this week. Yeah, I'm also on MJ's trainer, Tim. I want to, like, let's pump the brakes on Tim because I think when Tim went for that line, like, I had a bad feeling about this. I think he thought everyone was going to, like, give him his flowers. Like, ah, he knew it. He knew it was suspect. But my point of – I was like, dude, if you had a bad feeling about it, you just let him go on and eat the whole thing. (laughs) Like, you having a bad feeling doesn't save anything later down the line. So I I want to pump the brakes on Tim's ego. He's been making the rounds. He's been making the media rounds. Yeah, he's been making the media <laughs> so, rounds. I'm sure part of my take, we saw him and then a bunch of other places. Yeah. yeah. He has been making his rounds. Good for Tim. Good for Tim. But you, right. gotta, you, gotta, you gotta take a bite, Tim. Yeah, definitely have to take a bite. Take a bite. Right, Andrew. Three, one bite. Andrew, what uh, you got? So I knew one of you were going to take the Byron Russell. So I had a two-parter under that. Was okay. was I, I've... For the J.R. Smith Award, I have Reggie Miller for two reasons. One of them is that earlier in the doc when they were showing, like from these episodes, but they, it was a flashback to earlier when Reggie Miller was like, Michael Jordan had a bad game against them. And he was like, you're, you're MJ? You're Michael Jordan? And then, <laughs> so I had that as kind of part of it. But also Reggie Miller for a bigger reason was because they had the Bulls in game seven of of that last season. They had the Bulls in game seven. And they could have ended it right there. Like, they could have ended Jordan. Reggie Miller could have been the guy. He could have been that guy that ended the Bulls dynasty. And one of the greatest shot makers in NBA history, in game seven against the Bulls, he only took 13 shots. Mm. I feel like if that he, he should have – that's a game you live for, and he should have came up bigger in that game and only taking 13 shots, being the guy he is. Yeah, I can get yeah. behind that. I started I, I started the second half of that game last night before falling asleep, but that, that was not a pretty game. I'll just say that. Yeah, I think Reggie, and I, I know we'll talk about him later and um, kind of the Pacers team in general, but I think that like their style of play, I think, was different from Chicago where like MJ's taking like a ton of shots, Scotty's taking a lot of shots, and then everybody else is just left with the crumbs. So I think that, yeah, Reggie only took that many shots. Um, but I don't know if he was, like, I don't know if he was that kind of guy. I mean, I know he was, like, is one of the best shot makers and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I thought the most interesting thing that he said throughout the whole doc was about, like, the Bulls championship DNA, like, really showing up. And I, I like, completely mm-hmm. yeah. agreed with him. I felt like in that kind of situation, the the uh, like everybody in the Bulls having that much experience and like having having been there for like the whole decade in close games. Like if if you guys pay attention to the scores of like every game in the playoffs that they show, yeah, it's not like it's not like yeah, there are some blowouts, but like every game is close, and like the Bulls just having that kind of like experience is so invaluable. Yeah. Hard agree on that. Um, so I'll go ahead with my second one. This was a small detail, but it happened twice when they would show clips from them at practice. Apparently the Bulls, I mean, like my high school basketball team did it. We'd end the practice on like a half court shot competition and like we're all heaving from half court. But the Bulls basically did their half court heave from like the hash mark. 
And I just thought that was so funny because, like, in today's game, Curry is, like, not just Curry, Curry, Dame, Trey Young, Luca, whoever you want to call it, is just, like, simultaneously pulling up or doing a step back from the hash. And you have, like, Steve Kerr, one of the greatest shooters in NBA history, <laughs> using, like, all his force and, like, bringing it down to his hip to, like, heave it up for it to, like, clip the rim. And I just thought that was super funny and something that me and my dad thought definitely didn't age well. Yeah. That was that was pretty funny. And I was like, I was yeah, I said like uh the end of practice half court heave is now like the the warm up at the Warriors facility under Steve Kerr. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so is this is this uh on the Loyola Award? Um if you guys have anything else for J.R. Smith, then go ahead. I'm I'm cool with that. We can keep on going. I I had Byron Russell as like okay. my other yeah. one. But, uh, yeah, I the, assume a lot of people would. The the I, Yards with the pizza was my backup, so I'm I'm good to move on from Jr. Okay. I had another backup that I wanted to bring up. Was, All right, go ahead. Well, at the end, at the end of the doc, when Reinsdorf like just like slid in that, uh, he would have brought them all back for one year deals, and then MJ says that he like if they just didn't say that in the beginning, like if they didn't say in the beginning of the season that this was the last dance, then they all would have came back for for that one year deal and to try and defend their title. So I'm saying that the, the J.R. Smith award for my second time goes to just communication because mm. if they were all on the same page or, I mean, relatively on the same page, they could have ran it back and won another championship or lost defending their title. And now you see that MJ can't live with himself to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want this to become like a whole oh, like if social media was around, then this would have been different. Like this kind, that kind of conversation. But I definitely think that like in today's day and age, if like Reinsdorf would have been down to do something like that, and like MJ felt the way he did, I think it would have been easier to kind of connect those two guys and like make something happen because like I like once they have that whole. Um, like burning of the memories kind of ceremony. I'm sure that a lot of them didn't even hear from each other for a mm-hmm. while and stuff like that. So um, I'm going to, I like the commu- communication being the, the JR yeah. Smith award winner. So moving on to our next award, dubbed the Loyola Marymount award, as we mentioned back in the nineties, led by Hank Gather and Bo Kimball, the Loyola Marymount basketball team ran a fast paced style and was kind of revolutionary in their shot selection and pace. So this award goes out to someone who either was ahead of their time or just aged well in general. Um, Anything sort of positive from the doc. So for my first one, uh, Andrew, you mentioned Reggie. I'm going to mention Reggie in a positive light for this one. And I'm going to give him the Loyola Marymount Award because we saw him like running off of these screens and just taking these ridiculous movement threes that were kind of unheard of in that era like either it was a spot up kick out or you were sliding in for a mid-range and we see Reggie kind of taking these shots that are so reminiscent of the stars in today's game so I think he was really ahead of his time there as a shooter I agree I I think Reggie felt felt the most modern out of all the opponents and it could have just been because it was the most recent but I think like even in the finals with Stockton Malone it was like not a lot of outside stuff and um, more so of like a lot of fast breaks and dunks and stuff like that. But I think that, like you said, Reggie coming off screens and like taking these long, 
I mean, yeah, a lot of long twos, but like still just like extending the range was, was uh, really like cool to see. And I think like you put him in today's game and he would still be dominant. Yeah, definitely agree on that part. And especially, and on the jazz too, because like, yeah, there are running a lot of action that's so prevalent in today's game. Like their whole offense basically predicated around the legendary Stockton Malone pick and roll. But then again, there's so many of these clips where it's like Carl Malone jab one time, jab twice, and taking tested mid range. And like, while there's some of that in today's game, it's not really what basketball is in 2020. So I agree and definitely feel like Reggie at least was and, the most modern guy. And even like Kerr said. Um, like I was so hard on myself when I would miss cause I got like five shots a game and mm-hmm. like, and like, obviously the physical limitations would have made him like a different player in today's game, but like a guy who could shoot the three as well as he can, like all time NBA leader in three point percentage is going to be taking more threes in today's right. game than he was. And like, obviously he might not get as many open looks and he might not be big enough and all these kind of other things come into question. But I think, like everybody gets a longer leash from outside and the pace picks up and stuff like that. So um, Reggie, I think like you, you transport him into today's game and he's, he's giving you 25 a night and shooting a ton of threes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you got, Sam? All right. I got Rodzilla. Um, his, the name that MJ kept calling Rodman when he got back from his WWE <laughs> night off um, during the finals. So I was, I thought it was hilarious him calling it Rodzilla, and <laughs> and it reminded me of Gronk. It was really like, obviously, there's a lot of other like off the court stuff with Dennis that is his own kind of style. But and I think I've mentioned this before that like the way that his character like takes off is very modern in terms of like marketing yourself and stuff like that. But in terms of Rodzilla, I loved him going to the WWE for like a night and hanging with Hulk Hogan. It was kind of just like every superstar with a semi funny personality nowadays seems to be like retiring and going to the WWE. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I think Dennis was definitely ahead of his time with his Rodzilla NBA finals break. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Very creative. I did not think of that one at all. All right, Andrew, up to you. Um, yeah, so I had two again. My first one was just plain and simple. Steve Kerr shooting 42% from three in that last season. Yep. That's just – this aged really well. And and you, I was watching it, just watching him keep keep shooting in the gym, and it was like, yeah, that's, that's how it is. And then my other one was kind of what – going what Sam said about but not really about how Rodman acted, but how Phil Jackson let him act how he wanted to act. Mm-hmm. Like when Phil was just like, Phil was just like, he let them do what they needed to do. And then Dennis, you hear like perfectly, he was like, Phil, let me do what I needed to do. And that was perfect. Like that's how he got the most out of me. And I just think that like with today, especially in the player empowerment era, and like these guys all need the coaches to like, give them this day off and do this. And he let, he let Dennis Rodman have that leash. He let all the players have that long leash and let them kind of do what they want. And clearly it had great results. The original players coach. Yep. I mean, I went on a huge rant or not even a rant, kind of just a Twitter rampage last night on why I think Phil's the greatest coach of all time. And those are all the reasons why he, he empowered all of his players in a way and she made it all work and made it all click in a way that I think only he could. And 
you hear Rodman talk like that. You hear MJ talk like that. Um, Pip talks like that. Like everyone just speaks so highly of him and this leash that he gave them. And you got to attribute that to him. We, I mean, Sam and I talked about it last week and we talked about it before, just like that legendary meeting when Phil calls Michael in to, to, for Dennis to get a vacation in the middle of the regular season. And MJ looks at Phil and is like, are you fucking serious? And Phil just looks at him like, hey, guy needs a vacation. And yeah. Dennis came back and he was for the better. Like he just knew and understood everyone like that. So I and think when the media, And when the media was asking Phil about it, I thought it was so funny when they were like, are you are you is your team losing focus of the goal and he was like we have we haven't lost any focus the media is the only people losing focus yeah, I, lo- I love he was that like, line. he was like we're still doing us like we've been doing this all year we dennis is in the wwe like that's fine he'll be back tomorrow he'll give us 100 percent on the court we're fine yeah that was awesome and and um it's like being able to balance i mean i don't know exactly like the details about how they practiced and everything like that. But I feel like some guys are either like all about practice. Like you imagine a guy like MJ being kind of like talking to Scott Burrell when he was like hurt or couldn't go for a practice or something. It would be like, come on, like you're not sitting out of practice. Like practice is like the most important thing to a guy like MJ or a guy like Kobe for stories and stuff like that. Whereas there's the other kind of mentality that practice isn't so important. And maybe for a team like, you've heard about like LeBron's Lakers who like barely practice or something like that. I mean, obviously they do practice, but maybe it's not with that same intensity. And I feel like Phil kind of made it okay to not like, obviously it's practice being a huge part of their success and like how they went at each other in practice. But I think just being able to balance, like if a guy misses a practice, understanding that it's not the end of the world is something very like modern and ahead of his time for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with that and was thinking something along those lines when I was watching it live too. Um, do you, and you guys have anything else for this one? I have one more thing. I'm good. I had I had I'm the good. Reggie style play too. So let's hear what you got. Um, so this kind of just goes in what aged well and what was super cool today, even and like it was cool back then and even cooler today after what we now know after all about their personas. And that was the MJ, I mean, MJ and Bird meet up after the 98 Eastern Conference Finals when they just like dap up, hug, and he says, you bitch, fuck you. And it's just so classic Bird and MJ, both of them like fiery competitors who just don't let anything in and just like I mean, people, Bird is the definition of don't judge a book by its cover because he was one of the nastiest dudes on the court in terms of trash talk and like little dirty plays and all that stuff. And MJ, renowned king of that, as we know, after these 10 episodes. So I just thought that was so pure in both of them. And just looking back on it when it's broadcasted 22 years later, I thought that was like so fucking cool. I agree. Very, very, very cool. Um, all right, so moving on from the Loyola Award, we are now going to the Linsanity Award, something that's near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, and this kind of just goes out to someone who either has a heat check or just owns the moment. Like we talked about Jeremy Lin for those two weeks, two and a half weeks, just own the NBA. Um, we had some good ones last week, but for this one, I'll start off and I want to go with the tablet because the tablet literally had the best like the highest efficiency rating out of anyone or anything in the entire doc whenever they showed it to mj it made for either a meme or a 
like legendary quote or just a moment you would remember in the doc. And so I had, it wasn't necessarily a heat check, but just the tablet never disappointed and always delivered in the moment. Yeah, that when they showed him those videos, that was great. It was just like, oh boy, what what is he? He was like, oh boy, what did, what did this guy say this time? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think um, I'll go ahead and do mine. I think it'll kind of like build off um, a little bit of what you got. Uh, it was kind of like a last second thought and kind of getting some last second stats on my Lynn Sanity Award, but. Um, Larry Bird, the coach, I think kind of goes unappreciated in NBA history, especially amongst like a lot of people who are novice fans. Maybe before watching this, a lot of people don't really know Larry Bird to be a coach. And I feel like that's the thing that's a similar feeling to a lot of NBA coaches over the years, but especially a guy like Larry Bird who comes into the league saying, I'm only going to coach for like three years. That was like his whole thing comes in wins coach of the year and the first that that first season is the one that we saw in the last dance where he takes them all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals obviously the next year they end up losing in the first round as the one seed to the eight seeded Knicks but still I think that just that hot streak of coaching such amazing teams and we won coach of the year his first year in the league so I think that's definitely a, a heat check and like kind of like like Jeremy Lin came came in and was probably the best point guard the Knicks have had in a long time for like two weeks, two weeks span. And then gone and vanishes into the wind. And like Larry Bird was one of the best coaches in the NBA for three years. And then he just vanishes into the front office. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Andrew, what do you got? So when you texted me about this, I took it a little differently because you gave the example of Jeremy Lin parlaying his great time with the Knicks into a contract that, and that was too much money. And it like, and that was like, ended up being good for him. So I was saying that just overall, Michael Jordan, who hasn't played a basketball game in two plus decades, in over two decades, he he hasn't played in so long and there's no sports going on right now. He sees the opportunity and he's now the most talked about guy in the world. Yeah. Like, he hasn't played a game in 20 years, in, in over 20 years. And he's still, today, we're all still talking about him. We're making podcasts about him. And I just think that that, that takes obviously a certain type of guy to still have this impact 20 years after not playing a game. But that was, I just had a bigger one. Like, like that. Yeah, I like the philosophical angle on it. I think, I think that MJ being able to kind of like captivate the world during a time like this has been incredible. And I think like, I've heard some other people talk about this, but I don't think the timing of the documentary being now and starting work on it after LeBron beat the 73-9 Warriors. I don't think that's at all um, like a coincidence. I think that like the reason why, and I think he just happened to parlay it into a global pandemic, but I think he really wanted to give this generation of us three and a million, millions of other people our age kind of like a taste of what MJ was like and it kind of sparks the conversation with us and whether it's with our parents or with people on Twitter or people who were around during that time to just kind of explain really what MJ was and I think that this is the first time for me personally that I've like given thought to what when I talk about like who's the best player of all time I never saw MJ I only saw like Kobe and LeBron as people who were like considered in that conversation 
And I think that it's kind of redefining what it means to be the greatest player of all time. Like as, as good as LeBron is in terms of his like athleticism and his size and his abilities on the basketball court, I think like a lot of what happens off the court with MJ and a lot of what happens like in the world because of MJ contributes to making him the best player of all time. And like this, that's not something I've really thought of until I watched the doc. Yeah, I mean, you see the last, it was one of the last scenes with the interview with the late David Stern, and he talks about how when MJ started, the NBA was in 80 countries, now it was in like 215, and then they show, I mean, there's just posters with like Jordan, where they love the Bulls, everyone's wearing Jordans, everyone's wearing Bulls gear, like he just kind of captivated the entire world when he didn't even mean to. And I thought that was the kind of the coolest thing of the doc. Like he keeps saying, I didn't yeah. want to be a role model. I didn't want to be this guy. I just want to go play basketball. And yet the aura of him was still so strong that without being a LeBron type where LeBron, like that's, I think that's why LeBron is probably the most impactful sports player of like our generation, because he's so out there. Like he's on CNN doing a graduation thing. He's making a school. He's doing all these th- great things for the world. But MJ was literally just a basketball player, yet he was so good and everyone was so enamored by him that he transformed like the basketball culture all the way across the world. And I thought that was super, super interesting. I think like the, the kind of like mysterious part of MJ is also what makes him like people so interested in him is because you don't really know about his family life as much as you know about a guy like LeBron's or a guy who's more like out there um, in the media and stuff like that. Like MJ's for as, for as famous as he is, he's about as, as, secretive and as kind of to himself as you can be when you're that big so i think that the kind of mystique of mj especially in his like lower moments when he's not like winning a championship or something like that like he'll be on the road and like you saw him in the hotel room just being all by himself i think that never really seeing him out there makes him kind of more exciting to see in person like when you get to see mj in person it's like that never happens Mm -hmm. yeah and also andrew if we're talking about mj owning the moment right now compared to basically obviously we know him as the great basketball player but right now he's one of the worst executives in the league for the hornets and now (laughs) no one i mean everyone is talking about mj the player not mj the executive and i just thought that was another thing of him bringing back his past and owning this moment and i to parlay off what sam said i don't think them starting work on it after LeBron wins the 20, uh, 2016 finals is a coincidence at all. Um, I think, like we saw, he's a hyper-competitive guy. And he felt the public, whether he wants to admit it or not, he felt the public start to shift another way or he felt threatened by what whatever like the incredible feat that LeBron just accomplished. And he said, let's do it. I want the world to know who I am. So I didn't think that was a coincidence at all. Did you guys think there was a lot of stuff that they left out? Like... Were you guys surprised by – I know that, like, well, they may have had, like, last cut. MJ may have had, like, last cut or whatever, but who knows, like, exactly what the details are about that. But I thought he kind of omitted some things that, like, would have been nice to have in there. What do you guys think? Well, I was talking to my dad right when it ended, and my dad was like, the whole time I was so excited to learn about his personal life and learn about – his his gambling problems and learn about it was about his dad obviously and there was a little about his gambling problem 
but they didn't even really make it a problem. They were just like, he gambled a lot. I like, I, I thought they were going to go into more of that, but I guess if Jordan had the final cut, then he doesn't want to make it about that. He wants to make it about his rings. Yeah. I mean, I think Jordan having final cut was a real thing. Um, I think there was definitely some things that he chose to let leave off, whether there was on the court or off the court. I mean, you guys mentioned gambling stuff and like MJ, I mean, I don't think he, but he never really played. He never played a perfect game every time and he had bad games. And I think some of those were probably left off the dock, whether they meant something or not. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said about MJ quote unquote, leaving moments off the dock, but however, for like kids in our generation, who didn't grow up in the 80s and 90s, like if they were to make a documentary about LeBron and they didn't, like I wouldn't expect him to mention when he pulled up to the press conference in a cast and like was like showing this cast around. But if I was like a dad during that time, I'd be like, yo, how do you not talk about that? That's like a critical LeBron moment or mention anything about the decision. And I'm sure MJ had those moments, but like not being around in that time, not following the NBA day to day like I do now, I don't really know what he purposely left off or not. And I agree. I think it's interesting that we got more about, I mean, that we didn't get as much about his like personal life and his family life while he was in the league. And like, it really, I I guess he really just wanted to focus on the play on the court and stuff like that. Um, But even so, I was surprised that like the wizards didn't come up once, like he, that he went on to join and like come back and play for the wizards. Like, there wasn't even like a like a title screen at the end or anything like that. I don't know if that's because then that kind of connects you to his life after basketball after the Bulls, which I guess you would lead to talk about like the Hornets and and his time as an executive in Washington and stuff like that. But I think that it's something that Bill and like Rosillo have gotten into a bunch of times is like should MJ have retired when he did at like the peak of his powers in 98, like was there anywhere for him to go if he wanted to go back so bad, could he have made it happen? Um, could he have tried harder to get back into the league? And um, yeah, it was like a, I believe it was the lockout season um, was the season after the, yeah, the last dance. 99 was lockout. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, who knows? Because, like we heard Brian Zorf talk about it and MJ talk about it and Kraus has talked about it for a long time. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that they didn't talk about Washington, his family life or. Yeah. They always um, chose kids like at the end for. Right. Yeah. One yeah, exactly. second. yeah. I was, we like, see kids and for I was the like, first Oh, time. Those are his kids. Yeah. We saw his <laughs> kids for the first time in like nine. It was crazy. Yeah. That would, that definitely stuck out to me. I do before we get on, because I think there was like, in episode nine, especially a main theme that I think we all want to praise before we get onto that. I have one more Lynn sanity um, that I was actually pretty proud of that. I came across my Twitter timeline, DiGiorno pizza famous for buy their pizza, store it at home, heat it up and do it yourself. They tweeted after they kind of showcased the whole thing where MJ ordered the pizza, ate it and then got sick. DiGiorno tweeted delivery pizza, go figure. And I just thought that was a perfect heat check from DiGiorno coming out of nowhere and think i think they nailed it i mean i had no idea where you were going with that but i, <laughs> I, I that's, a, that's a great tweet it's definitely not delivery it's definitely not delivery it's definitely not delivery <laughs> and yeah i kind of once i saw that my timeline i was like wow that's the ultimate heat check and put it in my notes to say for now 
Awesome. So I think I I had this person as the Lynn Sandy Award winner, not necessarily a heat check, but just as someone who fucking owned the entire night. And I think that was Steve Kerr. And we can all agree on that. Agree. Like I I always love Steve Kerr, don't get me wrong. But just even after watching him that, like just not only like Steve Kerr the player, but like Steve Kerr the person where he is, I mean, the that's a class I watched like five times on Twitter when he's at the championship parade and he's like, Well, guess I have to bail out Michael again. Like he's not real comfortable in these situations. And just like the way about him that he like he just had that lightheartedness about him, but then he was also such a dog on the court. We know the story that MJ punched him in the face. Like we talked about that last week and he kind of just ate it and went on. And then that was their respect. Like I just thought he was a huge, huge winner from the series. And the kind of flashback to his childhood and his, his story about his dad. And I think just like the whole Kerr kind of highlight in the, the whole episode was so great because it was, it's not like he wasn't a part of the teams like in, in the years before, but his like best moments came at these times. And to just kind of highlight him, I think it goes to show a couple things. One, it goes to show just like where the respect in the league comes from. Like he was an executive in Phoenix. He was great commentator for many years. And then he's one of the most respected coaches in the league in Golden State. And like that respect has comes from a ton of, time that he spent in the Bulls and with the Spurs and in these like winning organizations so it's like no surprise at all when you see him like having these great relationships with guys like Steph and KD and Clay um but another I think this also goes to show you the like impact that MJ had on the doc because you could kind of tell through his like the way that they portrayed Kerr and I know it wasn't all about um MJ like making every decision, but um, Steve Kerr definitely got a great, great showing in these in these last two episodes. Yeah, for sure. Andrew, you got anything on Kerr before I kind of ramble on a little bit? I I agree with what Sam said. I, honestly, when they were when at first when I saw that they were doing Steve Kerr, I was like, oh. I wanted both of these episodes to be a straight hour on just Jordan. I don't want to hear from everyone else. And then once they started getting into Kerr, I was like, wow, I love Steve Kerr. Like, this guy's the man. Yeah. I mean, Kerr, he's he was just, like, that awesome compliment. And, like, the comments from Paxson where, like, Kerr just, like, learned how to be a role player alongside Michael and do what Michael needed. Yeah. Like, I thought that stuff was awesome. And one of my favorite parts of the entire documentary, and Kerr, like, nails it. He remembers it perfectly. When they're talking before the shot, which inevitably wins them the finals, and I think it would, I think that was 97 when Kerr hit the shot. And they're talking in the huddle, and Michael's talking about how they're going to come double-team him. And Michael, like, he knows the camera's on him, and he's just so sly, like, <laughs> kind of whispering. Like, he does the little LeBron thing where LeBron, like, covers his mouth with the shirt so no one else can see it. Michael kind of, like, puts the Gatorade cup over his mouth and just, like, be ready, be ready. And then Kerr, he's like, I was so oblivious. And Kerr literally <laughs> screams probably, like, ten times as loud as Michael, like, yeah, I'll be ready, I'll be ready. And he just, like, nailed the impersonation. And then they played the video, and it was perfect. And look, Look, he showed up big and he hit the shot. And I just thought like he was so honest in what his role was and what his standing was. And it was just really refreshing to see like someone like that alongside Michael. 
And also like one point I want to make is like Phil, I was thinking about this, like the similarities in Phil and Kerr just in terms of like all time great coaches. And if you think about what makes the Warriors great, like they have that same leash on their players that the Bulls had. Like it's not necessarily like Rodman and Draymond are alike in just like their, I mean, they're in some ways alike in terms of just difference. Like they're different guys who ruffle all their feathers, but obviously not the same. And Dennis was just like crazy, but Kerr knowing how to deal with those personalities and give Curry and give Curry and clay the leash that they have to do this, like revolutionary shit on the basketball court. That was kind of unheard of before. I mean, I think you kind of have to attribute a lot of that to his time under Phil and everything he learned from there. And just the coaches that he's been around his whole, his whole time in the league, Phil, um, Pop, D'Antoni, while well, he was the GM out in, out in Phoenix. And even though they didn't get along outstandingly, but I think that just taking pieces and pieces from these great basketball minds is like, it just every time he talks or someone talks about Kerr, it's like no surprise to me that he's having so much success in Golden State. Yeah. Only makes you only makes you wonder what would have happened if he picked the Knicks instead. Yeah, I mean, Curry I, right now. <laughs> I don't thank know. Thank God for thank God for Steve Curry didn't because he's a yeah. good guy. I would never wish that on him. Yeah, I don't know. We're not. We'll stay away from Knicks this episode. I have a, <laughs> I have one more. I have one more heat check. All right, go um, ahead. There's this guy in like a red blazer who is, if you are watching like the celebration, if you go back and watch the celebration. He's like the only guy to be in, like he's he's sitting next to Scotty and MJ in the locker room, like like offering them champagne every two seconds, like smoking cigars with them. I'm like, oh, this must be like one of their boys, and he's like all over MJ, but MJ doesn't even like look at him. And then <laughs> and then he's the only other guy who's like he's like sitting on the piano while MJ's playing in the hotel room, and I'm like. <laughs> This guy has the heat check of his life. He's just following MJ around. He's in all these shots. I haven't seen him once in any other episode. And he's probably like one of MJ's best friends or someone like more connected than I can ever imagine. But like good for this guy for being everywhere um, in the in this like last dance celebration. I thought yeah, it, was, I mean, it was pretty funny. I definitely would have wanted to be in that hotel room for sure. That looked like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was like kind of awkward. Not gonna lie, it was just like MJ screaming at all the media people. He was like <laughs> slamming on the keys of the keyboard of the of the piano. It, yeah, it's a room I would definitely want to be in. But um, the moments of silence are no time when I was gonna speak up and like say something. Yeah. Um. Before we fully move on from the heat check, I have like a half a heat check because it's like it's not really a heat check based on who the guy is. But just, I think he kind of nailed the moment perfectly and, like, was starstruck like anyone else would be, but didn't act like it. And I'm so not a Hollywood guy, but Leonardo DiCaprio was pretty fucking cool. Out of nowhere. Documentary. Out, Out of, of nowhere. nowhere. I was like, is that, that's Leo? And, like, I don't know. He just, like, he had the right look going, and he's just like – that was poetic out there, Michael. Poetic. And I'm just like, <laughs> you fucking nailed it. Like, of course you nailed it. Like, like what's Leo doing in Utah? I don't know yeah. what I don't know I what Leo's that. doing in Utah. I don't know what he did to get back into the locker room. But like, of course you act like you have like a script for you when you talk to Michael. Like, who comes up with poetic? And just like the way he said it, I don't know. Like, 
maybe it's just me because I think Leo is one of the coolest dudes ever. But like, I thought that was really, really cool. And he nailed it. Like, he nailed an interaction with MJ as much as anyone could. It was a great moment. And it was definitely like, it was definitely like meaningful that, that like, I didn't even know his, I, I don't really know his place in like the Hollywood world at that time for him to be like seemingly one of the only like famous people outside of like the media and the team and stuff like that to like be in that situation in the locker room. So yeah, good for him. Great heat check. Yeah, definitely good for him. Um, Before we wrap it up, we can't get out of here without talking about, I thought kind of just jumped its way into the top three of one of like the top three quotes in the entire doc when Reggie and MJ are going back and forth and Reggie's a rookie and Andrew talks about it. Reggie's giving him shit. And then MJ comes out and balls out in the second half and says, don't ever talk shit to black Jesus. And I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. I love the black cat too. I love, I love the black cat. Reggie, that black like, cat. Reggie, uh, like subtly calling MJ, the black cat was like one of the coolest parts of the documentary. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, that's a sick nickname. Sick nickname because when Reggie when Reggie told the interviewer he's like yeah I, I only called him Black Jesus or Black Cat from that point on I was like okay whatever like assuming it'd be like if it was like us three talking or like him and his boys he would call him Black Jesus and then he's literally on the podium like not blinking an <laughs> eye saying well they got the Black Cat and everyone just like knows what he means and I thought that was awesome and just like the the whole I love the whole dynamic between like whether it was Malone, like, going on the bus and, like, shaking MJ's hand after the game. Or um, I love, like, after the press conferences, like, whether it was Larry or, like, Stockton and Malone or Reggie, it was just kind of like they they would, like, dab each other up and it was kind of like a respect thing, but it wasn't like this lovey-dovey, like, kind of, I guess you could say, like, kind of how we see today with a lot of the guys being friends outside of, like, basketball. It was more, yeah, it was all behind the scenes, like, they all, had the, they all had the utmost respect for each other, obviously, but it, they just didn't show it on the court the way the players do today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like, especially, like, I was really, like, touched by Malone going on the bus and, like, yeah, in, in defeat being, like, congrats to guys who, two guys who were probably, like, drunk on champagne <laughs> and, like, him knowing that, just, like, going on the bus and being, like, congrats. It was kind of, like, that, like, and you saw when Malone was like getting tangled up with Rodman, it was like Rodman's like a tough guy in air quotes, but Malone's like will beat you up, like the <laughs> real tough guy. So um, I thought that was like all great, the like NBA brotherhood and like respect parts of the doc. Yeah, speaking of Malone, he's like the first guy in the whole doc that put on muscle in his arm. It's like he has the biggest arms. Yeah, Malone was and like was the Malone big was all jacked. the big men were skinny. All the big men were skinny, and then you look at Carl Malone, and he has pythons on his arms. I was I was maybe ahead of his time. I'm gonna say was Luke Longley. I thought he was like I thought you could plug. I think you could plug him in to to a playoff game in 2020, and he could he could rim rim run and finish some dunks and protect on the other side. Yeah, I mean, they, had I, nice, I, they had a nice rim run and video. Yeah, they yeah I was gonna about. say, <laughs> I, I didn't know, I didn't know a ton about Luke Longley, and obviously he's not one of the guys that really pops when you watch the old Jordan games. But he did have one really nice pump fake rip and 
dunk in the half court. So yeah, I I can see where you're going from. And that I one. don't know, but definitely definitely one of the guys that I one of the many role players on the team that I learned to to know more about. And like I got, I think um, Ron Harper also maybe didn't get as much airtime or um, as much like run as maybe some of the other guys on the team. Um, and I, I have a question I want to throw to you guys. I've seen yeah. a lot of Rodman like taking it with a grain of salt, like how good he was. Would you guys rather have Horace or Rodman? Which which Oof. which four? Do you Am think I the was, bo- was, like for the Bulls? Yeah. Wh- wh- which which like situation did you like better? Did you like early '90s Horace or late '90s Rodman? Personally, I I go Rodman. Um, I even if Horace might have been the better overall basketball player for them, I just think Rodman provided that weird toughness edge that they needed. I mean, not not necessarily needed because they obviously three peated. Um, but just the the Rodman combo with Pippen and and Mike, like obviously he was so versatile on defense, but it's just like that added personality an extra edge that he brought to the team every single day. And I was honestly like kind of surprised that him, him and Mike didn't clash a little bit more because Mike is so like serious, like show up, be locked in, be this. And Rodman is just so like out and like all over the place. Like even in the finals, when it's like the most nerve wracking thing ever, he's like fucking around with Carl Malone, like Carl, he trips Carl Malone. They smack each other on the, on the ass. And like, Carl and Rodman turns around and like gives him like a look and like just like joking around and then Rodman there's another one where he like hits the shot he hits like a mid-range shot in in the oh yeah and he like shrugs and he like turns around smiles and shrugs at the fans like who does that in game six of the finals like who does that he also gave like the uh he gave like the triple h like (laughs) celebration to the fans after after they won (laughs) Yeah, and I just think, like, maybe we're reading too much into, like, the personality side of basketball and, like, the NBA, and I don't like to do that when we're not, like, super plugged in, but just for the sake, like, that, I think we did get a pretty in-depth look in these last 10 episodes, like, Rodman, like, it just, the the unique aspect that he brought to that team, I think, is kind of unmatched. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that the, the edge that he brought, like... If if Jordan couldn't deal with it and and was too serious and hated Rodman for those reasons of him being crazy and missing practice like that, then it wouldn't work. But credit to Jordan for being okay with going to get him from Vegas and being okay with him missing practice to be in the WWE for a day. If Jordan's okay with that and it comes with Rodman's production on the court, then I'm going with Rodman. Yeah, yeah. and and I I actually enjoy kind of looking at like the people dynamics and like I know that we're not there or anything like that but um I'd say Horace especially like watching those Orlando games when Horace was on Orlando I was really impressed by like him as the player and I think that like him playing next to next to MJ could have kind of developed into like not a better Rodman because Rodman's one of a kind but I think like a a different version of the Bulls that also would have been dominant if that makes sense. But I think that if you guys, um, I don't think you guys either, are you guys like survivor people? No. The season that just ended? I'm not. So personally. big thing in survivors, like the, the people that are running the game surround themselves in their alliance with like 
people with like bigger personalities or who are seen as like bigger threats in like survivor be voted off. I thought that, and they, and they call them like shields. And I think that Rodman was like, especially when Jordan came back from baseball and was at the height of his popularity. So it was like an excellent shield for MJ. Like whether it was not necessarily like on the court in terms of like the physicality and stuff, but early on MJ was kind of the driver of like, the backbone of the team and like that mean streak that you need to have to like have a dynasty and like kind of like you see with Steph and Draymond like Steph isn't that guy that's going to be like the mean streak and like personality that is like given to your team and like MJ does have that in him and like could have been that but to save him from like even more scrutiny and to save him from even more like pressure and added stuff i think dennis took a lot of weight off his shoulders in like many different ways so i think like in a way i mean i guess you could credit kraus but like there were horace and Rodman were there at, like perfect times for where mj was in his career yeah i definitely agree with that statement and andrew i think there's i mean maybe ulterior motives why jordan was okay with getting Rodman Rodman from his hiatus in vegas that all of us know about but just in general like when he and we talked about like oh if MJ was okay with it and it kind of just comes back to the MJ quote that like where he ends up it's that whole scene where he ends up crying towards the end of episode seven where he said look I I just need you to give it your all because that's all I know in the game and it goes to what I'm blanking on what who said it I think it was BJ Armstrong he said and we talked about this last week playing for Mike can suck if you don't love the game and while yeah. Rodman was this crazy dude who dyed his hair and rode my motorcycles and went to go wrestle and went to Vegas, like when push came to shove and when the cookies crumbled, he was going to give you 110% on the basketball court. And I think that's why MJ, along with Phil, was okay with giving him this uniquely long leash. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, they looked past all of it. And even Rodman said, he was like, they know. He was like, they know when I'm on the court, I'm giving 100% every time. So yeah. they don't have problems with me because they know that that's coming. And he, it was true because every single time on the court, he gave, every single highlight they showed, it was him giving 100%, him diving over someone who's bigger than him or getting around someone who he shouldn't be. Yep. Um, before we wrap this up, I do have one final question that I want to pose to both of you, and then I'll give my answer after you guys. If you could have heard – from one more person, like one person more throughout the dock, who would it have been? Mm. Who, who deserved I more? Like that question. I have mine. Well, when I, I saw his kids, I mean, when I saw his kids, I was wishing I heard more from them because I think their perspective is, I mean, Mike being a kid of Michael Jordan is pretty awesome. I feel like their perspective would have been cool. I don't know if that's my official answer, but once I saw the kids, I knew I wanted to hear more from them. If Sam, you wanted to give your yeah, I, I'm gonna say Jerry Krause. I think um, I've always yeah. kind of been a fan of like whether it's like my league on on 2K or like just following like transactions and whatever it is. I've always been interested in like team building and stuff like that. Obviously, he's not with us and he can't be part of the doc, but I think that like Jerry has gone out there and like defended a lot of his moves and defended a lot of his like personality and stuff like that. 
and it goes into MJ and him not being on good terms and not having that much respect for each other at all. Um, I mean, at least from MJ's part. Um, but I think I would have loved to hear like, to hear like, we know, we know about, we know that he didn't want Phil to come back and like he could have done anything and he wasn't coming back, but we don't really know like why. And like the, there's so many whys, right? Like the, the reasonings for so many of his actions and so much of his like personality is just not a fully painted picture. And I think that like him not having a voice in like the entire documentary heard it in terms of like getting the whole picture. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, Andrew, you want to give your official answer? Or are you sticking with the kids? Well, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna stick with the kids since Sam said Kraus, because I just think Kraus had. I mean, Kraus. Find myself thinking like, why? Like, why yeah. did this happen? How could he let this happen? And it's just like, and we and we won't get the answer, we, which is unfortunate. But it would have been great. Yeah, to I hear that perspective. I think that everyone who's anyone got things. like, yeah, I think like everyone who's anyone got like interviewed, and like you could have interviewed anybody who is famous during that time, and they could have given you an like, Ari Gold story. got an interview. Yeah, they, they <laughs> could have, they could have given anyone an interview, and they could have like told you an MJ story or something. But I thought they did a pretty good job of like keeping that list of like celebrities who were out there to like a good point. But I definitely think that like from a Chicago Bulls aspect, the missing piece was like a Kraus point of view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Andrew, you mentioned before that you didn't think they went deep enough into like the gambling. I actually I'm gonna like disagree. I think that like for someone who has never really talked about it in public and has never really given much of like a firm comment on it, I think that like, especially because he had so much control over the doc, I think they yeah. went into a fair amount of, like, what happened, whether it was, like, the night in Jersey City or, like, the book or, like, the check and, like, a lot of his, like, gambling moments that he's never really addressed before. I thought it was, like, very great that they got him to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I definitely think this, like, the the personal life, it doesn't really impact, like, the bulls and like the team building aspect of it, but I wish they had Reinsdorf, Phil and Jerry and like all three points of view. Yeah, definitely fair. Um, yeah, the person, the person I had in mind when I posed the question for multiple reasons, one just pure entertainment because he was so good and funny in his limited quotes and just because he was integral part. I want harp. Like I want more of Ron Harper because yeah, I agree. I said that before we need more. We need more of Ron Hart. We need more of Hart because one, he's an integral part of all those teams. Um, after he leaves Cleveland, after he's a part of that team where they obviously had Craig Elo on him, and we talked about his classic line where he says, "Oh yeah, fuck that bullshit," and like just kind of like captivated Twitter for that like for that night, and that was just awesome. And then we kind of just never heard from him again. And not only do I want more because that line was so great, and how many you got to wonder how many more one-liners could he have produced. But also, he's on all those teams, and he's starting alongside Michael. He's starting alongside alongside Scotty. And I feel like we heard a lot from Michael. We heard a lot from Scotty. We heard a lot from Kuk. Like Kuk coach got his fair time. Kerr got his fair time. And like, 
I feel like Harp was nowhere to be found after that one scene. I agree. I thought it was a little weird, honestly. Yeah. So Harp was definitely someone I wish I heard from more. I'm try- Yeah, I'm trying to think of other people who could have been, like, who I wish we got more out of. In terms of, like, the opponents that we heard from, we didn't really hear from Malone that much, but we got Stockton, we got Reggie, we got Ewing, we got Bird and Magic, um, Drexler, Gary Payton. Like, we did get a lot of, like, his opponent, Isaiah, of course. Like, yeah. we did get a lot of Charles Barkley. Like, I could name a bunch of guys. I mean – just reading that list is a crazy list of guys that he's like eliminated from from the playoffs. There, <laughs> like I, I just named like like ten Hall of Famers, and he's like eliminated all of them. But um, I thought it was I, I, you might have mentioned this last last time we spoke, but um, going back a couple episodes to like the the baseball stuff, I thought I would have liked. I don't know if we heard from one of his teammates in in Birmingham. Um, I know we heard from Francona, yeah, but um, he kind of Francona being his manager is just great. Yeah, that is a great <laughs> nugget. Um, he talked about how much he loved his teammates and how much he like how much they respected him for just like being a, like a guy, another one of the guys, and like. But we didn't really like hear from any from any of them, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I I mean I would have wanted to hear from them because. You yeah, he mentioned just being one of the guys and going out. We saw the clip of them like giving him a Gatorade bath, like he was just someone who had a walk off and just like treating him like a regular yeah. baseball player in the minor leagues. And I did, I definitely wish we could have heard from them how that went. Yeah, I'd want to hear if one of them was like, "Oh, this guy," like if they they never wanted to say it to his face, but behind his back they were like, "Oh, MJ sucks. Like he's terrible <laughs> at baseball. Can't catch pop fly." Like I want to hear if any of them had that opinion. That yeah. obviously never said it out loud because if you did, then you were dead. Yeah, I also think it, the baseball, like coming between the two three peats, like and maybe it's just because of the level of access we get with the last dance, like footage. But I feel like his and he mentioned it that his like mental game in '98 was like ten times better when they won the, when they won the yeah. first one, and it feels like his like control of the game has just like improved drastically and and like his control of the moment and like that kind of stuff I've always found to be really interesting and like I see a lot of that in like LeBron's development from like going from athlete to like floor general has been like a really cool part of his development and like definitely like can see the same kind of thing in a guy like MJ yeah for sure Um, you guys got anything else? I kind of, I feel like I emptied the tank on this one. A lot to get out. Yeah, I, think, I think I got everything out. Yeah, I think I'm good. I, I thought I agree with you guys. I think these were two of the best episodes, and I think that it's a, definitely a rewatchable series. I think that definitely. you could definitely. I, I've only rewatched. You gotta rewatch it. Yeah, I've only rewatched like the end. Like, like let's say we're getting ready to watch like three and four. Like one and two will be playing like right before. And I'll catch like the yeah, last get 15 the end minutes of two. of two before I start three. Equally as captivated as like the night I watched yeah. it for the first time. Like I I learn different things and I hear things differently. And, you like, miss so much. You miss so, so much in the first one. I'm excited to like go back. I'm excited to go back. Hopefully it's after like live sports is back and everything. But I'm excited to go back and rewatch. 
Yeah, I think they're definitely rewatchable. My dad and I were just talking about how we can't wait to start them as soon as they're out. So, Andrew and Sam, thank you guys for joining me. I had a ton of fun talking Last Dance. So, listeners, thank you guys for joining us. And stay tuned for more content soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Appreciate it.